This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. We're excited today because um, we have um, members of the band who will introduce themselves to you um, who are going to be talking a little bit about the evolution of the blues in America because it is such an indigenous American form and it's, it's one of those exciting things that Chicago was always such a huge uh, part of and as you know later in the season we have Buddy Guy coming in so you know it's kind of a blues centric season for us um, so we're very excited so we'll get started in just a second if anybody has any questions about the FPAC or about the show um, or for any of the performers afterwards I'm sure that we can stick around for a few minutes and you all know how to get in touch with me so give us just a second to finish setting up and we'll get started well good afternoon everybody how you doing nice to see you all so I'm, I'm Elwood. This is Jake over here. Uh, the, the fabulous uh, Blues Sisters over here, Precious and Ebony Taylor. We're Hello. Very, very glad to have them with us. Chicago natives. Found me. Chicago natives. Um, and uh, related to the fabulous Coco Taylor. So we're... We're we're really uh, really excited that uh, they're on the road with us and they just do a fabulous job. And uh, on the, on the end uh, from the fabulous town of Fayetteville, Arkansas, uh, Corey Hogleg Montgomery on guitar over here, and we're just uh, pleased to have him with us too. He's a, a great talent and uh, also an encyclopedic knowledge of uh, of blues history. How many musicians here today? Oh, right, All right. All right. All right. Right on. We thought we would start with a with a little number that uh, Coco made famous. Um, Corey, can you pass me one of those mic stands just so I don't get a little volume control on this? Um, do Do you know the history of this tune, of this particular tune? I know it's a. Um, well, it's a co collaboration with uh, Coco. Yeah. And uh, uh, Coco Taylor and um, it's not Hollywood. And anyway, um, it started as an instrumental. They were from uh, Chess Records and Willie Dixon. Thank yeah, you very right, much. Thank you, the father of <laughs> uh, Chess Records and uh, serious guitarist and musician. And they co-collaborated uh, with this song. Um, and it was one of her biggest songs and biggest hits. It was really, I, I believe, might have been even the first one that. Yeah, uh, I think it was her first. The big first biggest hit that she made. Thing, mm-hmm. right? All right, so with the, uh, why don't we start off and do a noodle around, do a few. So if you're gonna give a little soul class, we're gonna put you in the even the
down your coat and Ebony Taylor. Thank you, guys. Well, we were asked to speak a little bit about blues history, and I, I think one of the first things to mention is, is that just music in general is um, it, it's kind of a unique form of, uh, of communication. It seems to cross uh, all sorts of boundaries, political, racial, um, whatever whatever your particular thing is everybody can get language. together and yeah language everybody can language. get yeah absolutely when you're all in, in in one room doesn't matter where you're from if you're singing something with soul and um people don't need to necessarily uh, uh know the meaning um but we all come together at that point because music has emotion written into it uh it has feeling in the melody and uh in the chord structure, and in the case of blues, I think what's interesting is is that really the roots are are, are plantation songs, and and even prior to uh, uh, prior to the history of American slavery, a lot of those slaves were really from Western Africa, uh, with a rich history of um, a, a vocal history, and the call and answer thing is very much a is very much a trait of of tribes like the Wolof tribe and the Mandingo tribe, Malenkes. Um, these were great civilizations prior to sla slavery. And in the 1300s, um, they, there was quite an extensive trading going on between um, the Portuguese and the Spanish Mediterranean and, and West Africa. As uh, you know, vessels became a little more seaworthy. Uh, they did travel up and down the coast of West Africa. Um, and I guess, you know, uh, at some point, somebody had the crazy idea that, you know, not only will we trade in, in, in goods uh, from these people, but let's, let's trade in people. Now, that's pretty whacked, uh, i got to say, but that's the way it was nonetheless. And uh, these vocal traditions wound up in, in the South um, in the 1700s. In the late uh, 1700s, I think you, you, there was probably five million people living down south of the Mason-Dixon line, and a good four million of those were, were slaves. So slaves um, outnumbered the owners by four to one. Um, and these vocal uh, uh, traditions uh, were, were a way of coping with uh, their situation and with the, uh, uh, the life that they now had, had to leave, to lead. Um, and I think actually one interesting point was um, in uh, the late uh, 1700s, there was a, uh, a huge revolt which almost got um, uh, out of hand. And I think um, that, that was due to, to drumming. And um, the, the messages were, were drummed uh, from, from one plantation to another and sort of spread through. And it was the, 
it was the language, and of course that, that language has its roots deep in African history as well. Um, they outlawed drumming after that, so you weren't allowed to drum. Um, so it really became a very much a, a vocal um, uh, tradition, and the, the, the messages and uh, the news really spread through vocal traditions from one, one plantation to another. Um, and then along uh, the routes of um, the, the transportation routes uh, up and down the Mississippi River, uh, along wagon train routes, and then, of course, later on around uh, along train routes. Um, prior to the Civil War, there's not a lot of documented history about uh, blues music, but certainly it had been around for a long time and had been evolving for a long time. Um, and I think, you know, the Mississippi is known as the River of Song. Um, <clears throat> interesting also to note that uh, as technology advanced, so did, so did the music. It, it depended also on, on what kind of instrument you had. Uh, people who played pianos, um, people who, who rich, rich families had pianos. Um, a lot of the things that filtered into the elements that filtered into to blues music was uh, you know, the, the kind of uh, staid Western chord structures. Um, when you lay that out on a, on a keyboard, it's quite different than the way it's laid out on a, on a guitar. Um, so I think that uh, you know, one of the first great popular musics um, was ragtime. That in order to play ragtime, you had to have a piano. If you didn't, you, you had a guitar, and you really had a different kind of music. Um, so the blues evolved uh, with with the instruments as well. Um, as we moved into the 20th century, of course, um, um, electric uh, blues uh, uh, followed with electric instruments, and particularly in Chicago here. B.B. Yeah. King was the first uh, one of the first to use electric guitar as far as the slides. Yeah, yeah. And and to go with what you're saying, as um, the slaves migrated north, um, so they took the music and the song with them and uh, to places, cities like Chicago and Detroit, and it took on a different form, and jazz, more or less, was kind of formed with B.B. King, uh, combined jazz with blues, and it was a whole new style of blues. So hence there are several different styles of blues music. Uh, because of the migration and uh, to the north after the to slavery the was abolished, or and then you've got Texas on. Texas blues, which followed the uh, along the rail lines, um, and I think a new group of uh, of entrepreneurs, if you will, sprung up the bluesmen. You know who would who would travel along these rail lines to various uh, different logging camps. Uh, they'd stop and they'd play a set, entertain the folks there, get on the train and move on to the next camp. And it really created a, a, a bit of a, a bit of an industry. These were, you know, cowboys of... Boxcar uh, musicians. Yeah, yeah. And very much that's the tradition, of, certainly of Robert Johnson in the early days. Um, the first documented, uh, or shall we say charted, um, example of blues music was uh, W.C. Handy in 1912. Uh, actually charting out music. He started as a, a ragtime player, but was a bit of a prodigy in his own right. Um, and so, you know, it's been it's been a hundred years since the first uh, charted version of what blues is, the one four five progression. Um, 
and I think it's uh, it's still very much a, a force in, in music today. Um, yeah, I think you could draw similar lines between blues music and, and rap music. It's really street stories, or in that in those cases, um, uh, work chain gang stories, work stories. So several people that were <clears throat> quite influential, Robert Johnson. I know Corey, you, you had mentioned some some other people that <clears throat> excuse me influenced you as well. Yeah, I grew up uh, in East Arkansas, which is the heart of the Mississippi Delta, or not the heart, but the outskirts. And uh, my dad was really into blues music, so I grew up hearing all these stories about all the old-time blues guys, um, guys you don't really hear about, but they're in the they're in the foundation of all music, like Sun House and Robert Johnson, who spawned into Robert Lockwood. But these guys, you know, it was so fresh at that time. They were just sitting in a quarter playing jukes and making their living, just playing music from town to town. And then finally, a man named Alan Lomax went down into the Delta and started doing what they call porch recordings, where he'd pull out his recordings out of the trunk of his car and start recording these artists. And until that time, no one had heard anything that was coming out of the South other than people that lived there. And I always that always stuck with me. I thought it was amazing. Because after that movement, then, you know, people started hearing what was happening in the Delta. And it started the movement up the Mississippi and Memphis and Chicago and then formed into all these different types of blues, which is pretty. Right. And, and you know, all the way up the Mississippi, there's those key towns in St. Louis. Um, yep. Great, great blues town. Um, you know, Memphis. Uh, all the way up to Chicago, really. The, all those spots were hot spots and, and really still are today. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there was women in the blues. I mean, uh -huh. It was really a man's uh, occupation for a long time. I think really until the, um, until the 19th century. You got any cool cocoa stories? Yeah, there, well, there are quite a few women in the blues that stand out in my mind that influenced me. There's a, yes, uh, Ma Rainey, um, Bessie Smith, mm -hmm. uh, Etta James, uh, yeah. uh, and then Coco, who is uh, our aunt, uh, who is was, uh, I guess, named the queen of the blues. And um, just watching her and being able to, uh, m you know, be mentored by her, we learned quite a bit about the blues and um, uh, the lifestyle of a blues musician or blues entertainer and artist and growing up and um, working along with her, able to work with her uh, was uh, a highlight. Um, I don't know if most of you all know that, but she's not here anymore. She recently passed in 2008, but uh, we miss her a lot. But her music is uh, is still alive and, uh, and um, we're hoping that music can continue, that the history of all types of music can continue in the schools and um, programs like this and um, just just music history in general, you know, whether it's her or uh, it's instrumental, we, we have to do all we can to keep continuing. So we thank you for having, <laughs> having us here today to continue to keep uh, live music alive. But anyway, she had a big influence on us. And Where was Coco from originally? Greenville, Mississippi. Right. But she's from Mississippi. Were they sharecroppers? Is that where they, the family Yeah, they from? were sharecroppers. And um, they, uh, her and Pop, 
who was her husband who was passed. They he played guitar and slide guitar and a lot of people don't know she played guitar as well. You know, she didn't do it often or uh, every now and then, but she wrote a lot of songs herself and she was an avid writer. Oh, she was actually on Chess Workers with Willie Dixon. I know you, a lot of people seen the movie uh, Cadillac Records. And she wasn't mentioned in the movie, but she was right there along in that time because uh, Willie Dixon did write a lot of stuff for her as well. And she did a lot of songs with uh, Little Walter and Muddy Waters. Mm. And she was still a powerhouse, just strong at 80-something years old. She'd get on stage and she could out-sing me or outlast me any night. I'd be tired. She'd still be shaking it up. And she and she wore the flashiest, <laughs> shiniest outfits that you've ever seen. <laughs> I think that's where I get that from. Right? Yes. <laughs> so there are, are quite a few modern-day uh, blues women. We had Bonnie Raitt and... Um, uh, Shamika Copeland, yeah, and, uh, great. different people like that, and Nellie Tiger Travis in Chicago, yeah, different people like that, and different uh, other women in other cities too that are keeping uh, uh, in other countries that are keeping the blues alive. So w- women's lib was uh, was happening in the black community just you know 50 years before it sort of became a became a, 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 a thing to do. You know, it was already happening there. That's kind of interesting. Um, do we have any any questions at all uh, that anybody would like to ask? Yeah. <laughs> well, what time is it now? Let's see. It's, uh, uh, we've been doing this for 15 years. Oh yeah. Nice to see you again. Yeah. How you been? <laughs> yeah. We we started off in, in in doing a legend show in Las Vegas um, back in the late 90s, um, but in those shows you you only do 15 minutes, um, and if you go over you get fined. And, and um, it's more and it's more um, spruced up. It's not real. Uh, you know we we definitely took the route of bringing it real. Uh, trying to make it real. Yeah. Y- yeah. You know the legend shows got all the dancers and the glitz and everything and. And we kind of wanted to get to the real. The music is why we're here, and uh, and Jake and Elward uh, were a great tool to spread that. As a matter of fact, it was really funny because uh, what about? Ah, it must be about ten years now. We did the Chicago show. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Blues Brothers revival uh, was like a play show in Chicago. That's where we we met our sisters here then, and uh, Coco uh, actually came out. And uh, a lot of different people came out. Uh, Lonnie Brooks. Lonnie Brooks. Um, uh, you know, the, some of the band Steve guys. Cropper. Steve Cropper. Uh, they all came out. And it was interesting, though, is they, they thanked us because back in 1980 when the movie came out, um, all of these musicians that were in the movie um, were available because they had no career. And the movie, they just did it. They didn't know it was going to be successful. It's just who knows. But they were all available and did the movie. And once the movie went, they were so grateful that it took off. It added and created more life to their careers and uh, enhanced. So they they were they thought they were giving back to us. It was kind of funny. It was like, no, you really you don't know us. The thing we owe you. Uh, but uh, uh, it was interesting. That they all showed up at the. Sh- they they all came to to the theater to see. Yes, them. they all they all came and with support. And I think you know the, those the characters of Jake and Elwood is really a, a, a 
homage to uh, blues music in general, and blues and, and rhythm and blues music. And that was the main thrust, uh, you know, that the characters were sort of written around. It was music first, and, and how would that play out with um, with that spirit born into two orphans from the South Side? And that, that's really the the, uh, the the root note of, of, of those characters. The humor and the uh, uh, sociopathic behavior uh, then just follows, but uh, that's where it came from. And the whole movie is a de- is a is a is a homage to uh, to to all those great musicians. And of course, it came out at the height of disco music, which is a very uh, you know where you count beats per minute and um, very stale uh, with all the soul ironed out of it that that music had. But it started out well enough with uh, with funk and. Uh, and soul music had just morphed into a corporate kind of uh, venture. Um, so it was a very timely. Uh, um, uh, it was very timely when the movie came out, that, and it really did bring back all that great, great music from the uh, 40s up to the 60s. I think we had a question back here. Well, a lot of groups from London came over. Uh, you have uh, the Rolling Stones, you have uh, the Beatles, took blues music and made it popular to the rest of the world where it was only popular in the South or to poor people or to black people because that was our survival method. That's how we coped with what was going on during the time. But all those great, all those entertainers uh, from England and whatnot saw the value and felt, felt it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Led Zeppelin, what they came to Chicago, you know, and did this big, huge show in front of, I don't know, how many thousands of people. And at the end of the show, they would go to some little bar where Otis Clay was playing and sit down, and they would be, like, so into it um, back then. You know, that's where they got their... their mm-hmm. Same with their Elvis hair. and um, yeah. people like uh, Mick Jagger with the Rolling Stones, the same thing, you know. Yeah, as it sort of translated, it went, went across the Atlantic and, and came back as a went across the Atlantic in, in um, merchant ships and uh, came back as, um, you know, top ten, top ten charting acts and songs. I think also the Rolling Stones were very instrumental in, in particularly Howling Wolf and B.B. King and their uh, um, first or second tour here. I'm not sure which one it was. They had B.B. King opening for them. Um, and I think that really, that really boosted... Um, the careers of, of really shone a light on, on these um, blues guys who I think B.B. King was probably 40 at that time and here he is out, uh, you know, um, opening up for the Stones. Um, but uh, that that gave uh, blues uh, another more modern boost in popularity. Um, Europe has always been great for, for recognizing this great American music and, and all these great American talented musicians. Which birthed, of course, rock and roll from blues. Any other questions? Come on, another question. For all the musicians who raised their hands again that were musicians. I saw more (laughs) than two. (laughs) Don't be shy now.
Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they, has anybody been to Stacks? Did you go? Anyone else? It's amazing there, isn't it? Uh, yeah, you know, they, they, that was actually the first uh, um, getting uh, blacks and whites together in a room and making music that went around the world. Uh, and in spite of all the, all the nonsense going on, whenever they were in that room, uh, great came out of it. They didn't realize they had all these hits. They just went to the studio every day because it was something they did. It was just who they were. And they would go and they would sit and they would play. And, you know, someone like Otis Redding would walk in. And who's this young fella? Let's hear you sing, you know. And things would just go. And then before you know it, they go to Europe and they're getting swamped like the Beatles. Uh, when they go in there, they go, what's going on here? Uh, a lot of great stuff came out of Stax. And then, of course, the counterpart was um, uh, Motown uh, in Detroit, which a lot of great stuff came out of there, too. Um, what would you like to know about Stax? Well, actually, the, the, Paul, the, Schaefer was Paul Schaefer. Paul was the guy who put the band together. He phoned um, Steve and Doc, and he put the whole band together, um, and and that was why. And of course, uh, they had that relationship. So, uh, actually, it was Paul Schaefer, and he was the original first blues brother. Um, and if you read his book, has anyone read Paul's book? In his book, he explains uh, that um, he was kind of in love with uh, Gilda Radner at the time. Uh, and John, uh, and he was the, the, you know, the musical director for the Blues Brothers. And uh, this is before the movie came out. So when uh, he uh, was in love with Gilda, she wanted to do this show. At the same time, they were planning to do this movie. And when John said, hey, we have a movie to do, he said, oh, I'm doing this thing with Gilda. And John got mad at him and, and said, that's it. So he never ended up in the movie because... He ended up doing this uh, show with Gilda instead, but he, they all made up before John left and, uh, and carried on. But really, they, they had the whole Stax Volt rhythm section, and you know, what an incredible band, plus Matt Guitar Murphy, of course, um, who in and of himself is a great, great musician. So they, they really had the pick of the crop. <laughs> And actually, we did a show here, uh, is it a year ago now? Uh, yeah, yeah, in Joliet. Yeah. Uh, did anyone go to that at all, though? We did the show, and it was, um, uh, we had special guests. Paul was on the show, um, Blue Lou Marini, uh, Bones Malone, Bones Malone uh, McIntyre Murphy. And Otis Day. And Otis Day. And that show was recorded, so we will be having a CD coming out soon mm. in the next think a month or so. It was a show in honor of, of John's 30, 30 years of John uh, Belushi passing away. So everybody sort of came together. It was an evening with family and friends. And just a great joy to, to play with some of those uh, incredibly talented yeah, people. Awesome to be with some of the, most of the original cast from the movie. It was mm -hmm. an honor. And Matt, uh, uh, sort of recovering from a stroke, uh, ha has not really played a lot uh, uh, but he's still got plenty of chops, and he's he's still alive and kicking. So that's great to hear. I remember showing up that day, uh, and Matt was sitting there with his guitar on, and he was 
he had people around him. They were talking to him, and he was just noodling and playing, and it was just like, listen to this man go. He doesn't stop. He just keeps playing and playing. It's wonderful, wonderful talent. Any more questions? How many people come to the show tonight? That's it? Two people? <laughs> How many people are coming to the show tonight? Are there any other people that would like to just come to the show Just put your hand up tonight? anyway. It just makes us Who feel wants good to come to the show tonight? Who wants to come tonight? Okay. Well, that's wonderful to hear. You know, because our show really does revolve around the history of music. Yeah, very much so. I mean, Paul Paul Schaefer was very adamant that we try to be, um, you know, and and Judy Belushi and and Dan as well. It's it's about respecting the music and and the way that these grooves were put together and and trying to stay true to the original grooves. Um, and Paul, by his own admission, uh, you know, has asked us to slow a lot of stuff down. Um, because apparently when they did record some of those live recordings, they were pretty jacked up, and now they're all on the natch. So they said, you know, we were doing this too fast. we got to slow it down, and that was good advice too. Yes. Well, it was an idea John and Dan put together, I think, when they were in Toronto. Yeah, I think the first night they met, they had this concept. Um, and uh, uh, who's the? Uh, he's, he, he used to be the uh, the um, MD at Saturday Night Live. Shore, can't remember his first name. Now he's a, a huge uh, uh, writer for film scores. He scored uh, all of the Lord of the Rings stuff uh, and many, many more. Um, and they had a, a, a an album. Uh, Dan Aykroyd had picked up an album of um, John Lee Hooker, and he said, "See, this is the look we got to have." And um, is it Paul Shore? No, I can't remember his first name. Um, Paul Isn't he a comedian? Paulie Shore. He's also a great musician, a comedian, and a great musician. There you there you go, right there. And uh, he said, "Well, if you do this, you, you got to call yourselves the Blues Brothers." And that's that's sort of uh, that was the genesis right there, and because they had uh, come up with this concept before either of them were with Saturday Night Live, they um, they owned the rights, and um, uh, so SNL does not uh, have any rights, as they do with all of the other characters which are you know, conceived uh, on the show. So that uh, gave uh, Dan and John. A freedom to go and and uh, do whatever they wanted with those characters, which um, may not have happened otherwise. So I think that's a great thing as well. Question. A question back here. We auditioned. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yes. Uh, yes. Thousands. Well, we had already been working in in. We've been working as a team in, in Las Vegas and. We had done a, 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 a documentary for A&E um, about two guys working in Vegas, a little peek behind the curtain of the show business of Las Vegas. And it was just really um, about uh, that city and mob connections and uh, music history. So it was seen through the eyes of two guys doing Jake and Elwood, which was kind of a different twist to it. And um, Judy had seen this um, uh, documentary 
and about a year later, they were casting a show here in Chicago, and they'd gone through a number of Blues Brothers teams, and they hadn't found anybody they liked, so they said, oh, what about those two guys that did that documentary? They gave us a call. Um, we were in Toronto at the time, so we got in the car and drove 500 miles uh, yes. straight here. Just like the movie. <laughs> it really was. You know, tired, uh, coffee breath, uh, you know, trying to memorize a script on the way, and, and we, we got it. We came into the audition, um, uh, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning, and um, w they pan-fried us, I think, for a good, uh, good three hours. Um, and then they said, all right, well, thanks a lot. And then we got our bags and uh, headed out the door. And they said, whoa, 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 where are you going? We said, well, man, we, we can't afford to stay in this town. We we got we to gotta head south. And they said, no, no, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we, we like you guys. Um, you know, you, you even smell like the Blues Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what really clinched it, uh, probably, right there. Uh, that well, road, the, that yeah. road stench. Yeah. Well, the right. other thing I would say is that Wayne bears a striking resemblance to John quite quite a bit. Quite a bit. So, yeah, that was the... Well, that helps. Though. That was the story of our adventure, but uh, we're really um, uh, greatly honored to be able to do this. Absolutely. And, uh, they're just fabulous um, characters. Um, and, uh, it, it, and, of course, the music just really sets the tone, and music and humor go very well together, and, and that's really what it's about. It's about uh, doing a, a good job musically and um, you know, adding, a, adding that humor and trying not to be too serious uh, with it. And... Um, I think those things are, are a great combination. Any other questions? Yes, sir. We absolutely could. Yeah. What, what do you What do you have in mind? We could do a little refrain or whatever you'd like to do. Make love to a crocodile. 
y'all for coming out. For those of you coming to the show tonight, hope you have a great time and enjoy it. And may the blues be with you. By the way, a little side note here. Ebony went to this school. everybody for coming. For those of you who would like to see the show tonight, like I said, even though it's technically sold out, I always have extras tickets, especially those single seats. So, you know, just stop by the box office and I'll be there. So cool. And, we, you know, we certainly couldn't let it pass by without knowing that it, one of our wonderful performers that came to Moraine Valley. So yeah, we are we are sending them out there into the world doing great stuff. So thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. 
Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.